Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Lori Lindsay. How is it going, Lori? Yeah, good. How are you, Claire? Good to see you, as yeah, always. Not, not too bad. It's kind of an interesting time of year. We're seeing NWSL transfer windows about to close. We've got U.S. for like the big U.S. job is done for the year. Now it's full World Cup prep. We've got some big friendlies coming up. Um, yeah, so we're a little bit feels a little bit in between. We're getting some people, some wacky action this week. So it's going to be a fun <laughs> show, hopefully. So let's start with the U.S. We always, you know, when there's U.S. news, like to start with them. So they did drop the roster for the two friendlies against Nigeria this morning. We're recording on Monday. Going to run that down real quick. So for goalkeepers, we've got Aubrey Kingsbury, Casey Murphy, and Alyssa Nair. Only six defenders, which I thought was interesting, and we'll talk about that. Alana Cook, Emily Fox, Naomi Gurma, Sophia Huerta, Kelly O'Hara, and Becky Sauerbrunn. Seven midfielders, Sam Coffey, Lindsey Horan, Taylor Korniak, Rose Lavelle, Christy Mewis, Ashley Sanchez, and Andy Sullivan. Forwards, Ashley Hatch, Alex Morgan, Mal Pugh, Midge Purse, Megan Rapino, Trinity Rodman, and Sophia Smith. So I think first impressions for me, obviously, is, okay, we're not rocking the boat, right? So maybe this is my, my big question to start is, is this an indicator that major tinkering done? We're honing in now on a 23, or do you think this is just who's fit, who looked good over the summer, continuing that? What's your take on it, Lori? Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of both, actually. I think um, knowing that you have these two games um, with Nigeria that is a, is a very good team. Mm-hmm. And then that almost is like the launch pad into what everybody anticipates to be a huge game, obviously right. against England. So not a ton of time. So this isn't surprising. I don't think to anybody that it's pretty similar. And then I think, you know, after maybe that England game where there's reported that there's going to be some other um, big European games as well, but, you know, kind of that December, January timeframe where like could bring in quite a few different um, players that maybe have been on the fringe or even some of the players that, um, you know, in, you know, kind of a hybrid U23 um, group that majority obviously play in the NWSL, but then maybe maybe even a few 20s just to see if you're going youth, right? Might as well take that opportunity. But I don't think he's surprised. I think it is who's fit. And I also think um, it's just a build off of what he thought was a successful kind of run in the CONCACAF, right? And then get ready ultimately for these games, another look, and then the England game. Right. Um, it seems like we, we talked about this when we were talking about the CONCACAF W about how, Vladko's systems, his principles are maybe a little bit more complicated than just a let's put the best players out on the field and have them play. How do you balance one with the understanding again that this is Vladko's team? We're living or dying by how he wants to run this yeah. with the idea that it is a little bit more complicated. How do you balance wanting to make sure that you're bringing in the people who are most informed while also understanding that this is still a project? that you can't abandon because if you abandon halfway through, then maybe that causes more trouble. How do you balance that? Well, I think we're actually seeing him balance that, right? I think these are the people that he thinks are fully fully fit. And then I think he's hoping potentially that there's other players that are going to be coming back, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Crystal, Crystal Dunn is a big piece in that. Yep. Getting back, we saw her at the WICC this weekend, so we were able to speak with her about that and her return. Um, I think getting her into the mix, bringing her back into that environment, yep. even if she isn't fully prepared, right? That feels um, like a huge veteran win, too. Just getting her attitude, oh, her ethic. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yep. Yeah, it, exactly. I agree. And then, you, you know, it kind of looks at like, okay, where can you play her? Okay, multiple positions, so like, um, which, is a, which is a huge bonus, too, depending on where um, Vlaco sees her fitting in best or where he wants in the system. But I do think we're seeing that balance. I think we are seeing him say, hey, these are the people that I feel um, are performing and are fit. And I think there's some hopes that there's going to be some other players coming back um, into the mix throughout this time now to the World Cup that he feels are, are big pieces, right? So, um, yeah. I mean, it's been pretty consistent, I guess, in that way. Yeah. I mean, we're not seeing, I mean, he has been, as much as it's like if agree, agree or disagree with the picks, he has been very consistent in that regard. Um, so, 
Yeah. Yeah. To me, it seems, I, I agree. It seems like even a player, maybe a player that sticks out to me is someone like Taylor Korniak, who yeah. didn't play a ton during CONCACAF W, but that wasn't a let's fill a slot kind of a pick. He brings her back. He still mm. sees things that he wants to work on with her. He wants another look from a player like that. Um, bringing in, we had, I, Okay, so maybe this is where we pivot into because I this is a real this is not like me doing content. This is just like I'm conf- a little confused. <laughs> Six defenders, right? Yeah. Um, no, Emily Sonnet. She's been dealing with a foot issue. Mm-hmm. Might just be a team doctor thing. Being like, you know what? Let's just leave it. She's fine. Um, we don't see that bubble pull in like a Carson Pickett. They don't actually. Yeah bring in a new player to fill out that defender core though. We did see um, Sam coffee, who was that next player in to not only us women's national team camp, but also those friendlies before CONCACAF W um, we saw this with Jill Ellis's 2019 team as well. And I just, I don't fully understand it. Why so few defenders? Why so little rigidity? Is it because Crystal Dunn is close to coming back? Is that maybe the player we should be penciling in instead of a, a different player coming in? Why are they not looking at more outside back, center back depth in light of some of the injuries that they're dealing with? Yeah, I think it might go back to like um, being hopeful on those the return of some of those players, right? Yeah. Like Tina Davidson being one of those who's right. been out. Um, who I think he he views as like a huge piece. Um, Crystal Dunn in particular, because you can play her obviously in the midfield where I think she's been vocal that yeah, is. And, and, the, and the country would cheer, right? Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, or either side of the outside back, right? Because and I think he maybe views that there's depth there in terms of Carson Pickett's getting minutes. Yes, she hasn't been. She's only gotten that one cap and called in one time, but you're getting the regular play with North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this just allows him to be able to bring Crystal in because she can play on the right or left. I think he fully um, b- believes that yeah. depending on who they're playing against and, um, and and their needs, right? So yes, I think it's interesting that there's only six defenders. And also I feel like these are two games. This isn't like a, this right. isn't like you're going to play- traveling, right? It's right. Like, yeah. You're not going to like two playing two friendlies and then going to a world cup qualifier and um, where you have both the world cup and Olympics on the line. So it's not that surprising to me. I think this is really has to do with what we just said on who he feels um, he can take a better look at. And it gives players like a coffee to come in um, who didn't really get a good look. Right. And I think I've been saying this from day one that I think she should get called in and I'll be curious on how they utilize her and Andy. Um, in those in that number six position but yeah I just think it's more about who he has available who he wants to see and um go with the players that he knows are fit right now in that back line I know this is not really how they play but I would kind of like to see him run a midfield with both of them I'd be really fascinated to see that triangle look a little bit diff like invert that triangle a little bit yeah Um, I think that would be cool this is the time to do that like if you're not going to be calling in brand new people now is the time to try like that what happens if you play Sam Coffey and Andy Sullivan at the same time maybe that fixes some of your distribution issues like I think that there there's something interesting and it's like as you talked about we talked about this with Andy Sullivan um during CONCACAF which is the the way they're using her is a little bit more of like this Julie Ertz impression where she has to fill a lot of space She's not relied upon really with distribution, nor did she look really amazing on the ball. I'm not sure if that's an injury thing or just nerves or whatever. Um, So maybe run her in a dual six, maybe have a little bit more concrete of an approach to fill that space and move the ball and then let someone like Rose Lavelle just kind of cook in front of them or Ashley Sanchez. You listen, you and I are in complete agreement. And I think we could do a whole episode on that. (laughs) On just that, right? Like I just, I, I I think personally gone to the days like Julia is a special player, right? Like we -hmm. we don't even talk about that. I think you can look at a Desiree Scott, right? A particular player. But she she plays with Quinn, you know, they've got. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. That's what I'm saying. I think it depends. And and the way that the U S it seems that they want to play right like even sometimes in possessions you know get a rose the ball let her work her magic it is like a high pace we all know this right Right. so for me I think then if that's the case and you're not going to have a Julia in there at least currently right Right. who knows what the trajectory of her coming back is at all um however then you need to lock down your spine because I I think even looking at the 
big win against Canada in the CONCACAF championship, right? Mm -hmm. But I think there's times if, if, excuse me, if Canada was more prolific Mm -hmm. um, in the way that they were attacking, we would have been exposed a lot more down the middle of our spine um, in that sixth role. And I also think, to your point, having coffee and Andy in there, I think that suits them, right? Again, it goes back to, I think the days of like, kind of like one of those destroyer midfielders in the The sixth are gone. But that really that really means that you have to be playing a certain way of like, and the personnel around, if you're going to play that way or have an Andy or coffee. Um, If you look at how they play with Washington and even Portland, a lot of that has to do with the players that are around Sugita, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Sinclair, the manipulating of space for coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that looks very different. So why not utilize a double pivot? And both of them are essentially more number eights than they are true sixes. So then they can join in the attack, but they share that role in terms of possession. I mean, then it allows, I mean, for me, it allows you. It it seems like a big winner. I would love to see it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't understand. You're not the only person who I've talked to about with this i don't understand the persisting of the number six role as if julie Ertz was filling it it's not her it just seems like a misread of the last six years of this team but um, and i think it also discredits like what those players outside of julie Ertz are are capable of right because i think you look at andy i mean her ability to go forward her ability to like problem solve um is not always utilized in those moments because we get in such expansive shape then you're isolated right so i'm like yeah and that's how you end up with the infinite long balls from the center backs and so it just kind of forces you predictable i think you get better out of a a sophia smith and even a mal pew as well because they're going to be in better positions and you mean, yeah, we can go in front. So that, yeah, that would be formationally what I would love to see. All right. I do have a couple more personnel questions. (laughs) A couple more personnel questions. Um, These two have not been a huge focus. You know, there were some questions about a couple other players who were on the bubble today. Um, But there are two players who I think are doing perfectly fine in NWSL, certainly as well as some of the other players who have been called into this camp who have national team experience. And so this is the, the question is, Aidy French mm-hmm. and Abby Dahlkemper. Yeah. World Cup champions. They went to the Olympics. They don't seem to be in the plans. You know, yeah. you look at bringing six defenders. Uh, it's, I think if you had looked, you know, after 2019, you would be shocked to see that they would rather leave space, you know, bring an extra forward in than bring Abby Dahlkemper back into camp. Yeah. Aidy French has been playing really well uh, for Kansas City. Looks like they are moving on from her Mm -hmm. those are like the those i always find fascinating because this is a team that sometimes does big they'll hold on to a player for a long time and they will make very clear like they are in the plans they're not in the plans they can work their Mm -hmm. way back Mm -hmm. this feels for those two like a quiet this might be like the quiet um you know leaving of this group uh, so am I overreacting or is it, cons- I mean, consistently, it seems like not in the current plans, right? With these, Yeah. Two. Yeah. You know, I think the AD one is the goalkeeping situation is interesting because we have yeah. a plethora of goalkeepers. I think we can all agree on that, right? Not hands down. I mean, I'm fortunate to do the local broadcast for Kansas. So I've been able to see right. AD. And, I mean, she's been lights out. It's been yeah, awesome, she's been right? Incredible. I mean, yeah. And so I agree. I mean, if you're, if you're speaking about performance and that kind of stuff, then yes, I do feel like right now he, um, there is something about that trio and maybe how they performed, right? Uh, you know, how they're performing in training together and keeping that a tight knit u- unit and then potentially bringing like an AD um, in. I think, you know, the interesting thing is too is like sometimes it's just opinion. Right. And like his feeling, right? Because right. we're always going to have these people that are going to be performing well, in particular the goalkeeping position, mm-hmm. right? And, and how well they they are doing. And I'm, I'm sure there's been some conversations there for her and um, what that looks like. And, you know, there's been a lot about Fallon Tull's choice as well and bringing her in. Mm-hmm. And my argument was just 100%. Like, she's been great. But I wouldn't bring her in before like a World Cup qualifier when you don't have any caps or any experience. So that was always my argument. But now going forward, but I still think it comes back to what we've been talking at the top of the show too, which is just like, hey, we're going to keep a consistent group mm-hmm. and we are, um, and we'll move forward with this until like we have a little bit more time, say Jan- December or January is ha- fully how I believe this is being looked at. The Dolkimper one is a bit more perplexing to me mm-hmm. than AD, just given the, um, you know, 
only one spot for goalkeepers as much as I think AD should be in there. Right. There's, there are fewer, Um, you're only going to be able to bring so many. Right. right? So, and and she's getting consistent minutes. Why not keep her in Kansas city right now? If you already have this group, you're kind of going with, however, I do think the Dolkenberg one is interesting to me just because I feel like it's more with that. um, Is maybe the consistency like well, she I mean, have- Dahlkemper has has been kind of benched for San Diego yeah. too. It's, yeah, you know, I it, it's a it's an inter. I find it really interesting because I think highly, I think very certainly highly of how Abby Dahlkemper played in 2019. She mm-hmm. was a huge part of that team, yep. both for club and for country. Um, she had a rough Olympics, you know, yep. everybody saw that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it seemed more like just sort of a mental switch. It was not about ability. It was just sort of a rough patch of mm-hmm. form. But now she's not really getting called into U.S. camp. She's one of the founding signings of San Diego. And as of yeah. this moment, she's kind of having to w- earn her spot back on the field for yeah. San Diego. And so maybe the question is, does it feel like a player of her stature should get more time to, to work through some of this stuff? Or at this point, is it we really need you to put the work in and start performing again and then... Is it like, maybe this is, maybe my question is, is this the downside of no longer being a young prospect anymore? If you are a rookie, maybe you get more time. If you're not, maybe you don't get that much time. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a really good question. I think it's one of those things that could be a combination of like many things, all of it. Right. I think we have this new where people aren't under contract anymore. You can really do, he can call in people that he wants to. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, It is um, the inconsistency of playing. And I also think we need to highlight Gurma in that aspect and how well she is playing. Right. I mean, she's playing like a veteran player, right? Yes. So if you're going to be bringing somebody in to fill a role, I think you're going with Gurma at this point in time. Yeah. This, her ceiling is massive and you're just getting her in. And for how well she's playing, you know, you kind of know what you're getting from Abby at this point in time, right? There's like so much, oh, there's not so much else that you're going to get from her at this age, stage in her career. Um but yeah, I think it's I think it's still it's still the evolution of like what Blacko was saying, which is like we're going with like some we've got to make some changes. Yeah, we went with that group um, at the Olympics. I wasn't messing around. This is what we're doing. Yeah, and um, here we are. Right. right. So, um, but I also still think, and th- I always say this because I think when push comes to shove and you need it, like I always think about it like an Alley Krieger in two thousand nine. Yeah, right. It wasn't exactly. in the mix, right? And then all of a sudden you're like, here we go. Yeah. You're like. Actually, scratch yeah. that. I was playing really bold it for one for for a while there, and like, nope. And right. then what happened? Allie gets called in, ends up starting right, right. Like, and playing a big role. So, I I think that is the beauty of where the game is now, and also kind of what the what the league is providing in terms of these outlets for people to continuously play and have minutes, regardless if you're getting called in or not. And that can change at any moment, really. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, and especially right. Part of it is part of it is trust in a way of like, if we call your name, you'll be ready to go because you have seen that player in training, you know what they can do. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's hard. I, I mean, we're not going to pretend like it's an easy process. I think it's hard to stay ready when you're not getting that call. So um, yeah, it's really mm-hmm. interesting to see how, how that works for doll Kemper. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So last, last question. And this is a little bit tied to that, that midfield conversation that we were having, mm-hmm. which is, I think a lot of focus when you see, or when people talk about form, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Vladko almost to his detriment at this point, talks a lot about wanting to bring in informed players, mm-hmm. though, obviously he does had, didn't totally do that this time, right? He's still bringing mm-hmm. a lot of players in from the spirit. And we'll talk about this in the next segment. Spirit have not had a good season. Mm-hmm. They're not performing up to the best of their ability. Um, you would not say that like Midge purse is playing at her ceiling right now mm-hmm. for club though. You know, there are other extenuating circumstances there. Yeah. Uh, how do you balance that? Well, maybe it goes back to that first question, which this is twofold, but the first one is, you say, you know, club form matters, club form matters. You call some people in who, you know, can probably perform better for country than they have for club. That's been true for years and years and years internally. How do you not have players sort of lose the plot? Is it just communication? Is it just internal communication and making sure that the players who are not called in do know exactly what they need to be doing? Is that how you're able to sort of maintain that without losing? You don't want to lose the locker room, I guess. Is yeah. Yeah. Question. Yeah. 
Um, yes. And I also think it's a professional sport. Right. Right. Yeah. Like it just really yeah. comes down to it. And it's just right. like, that's the thing. Like you're staying ready. People want to play. On the, I mean, you play on the women's national team, right? So it's like, you want to play, you want to get called in. Right. Um, it's a whole nother level. And unfortunately, as much as we talk about performance, it's just like, that is only, it is true. And it's not true. There's so many like right. very varying factors. Right. And like, I mean, if Messi's not playing well for PSG, it's not like Argentina is not going to call him in. Right. right. Like he's not playing. But so some people that's the case. And I mean, as you mentioned, we'll talk about it, but like, um, yes, maybe Mitch first hasn't been playing her best um, for, for Gotham. And as you mentioned, um, a ton, ton of different circumstances in that case or, or, or the Washington spirit, right. Ton of different circumstances, but we know what they're capable of, right. We know what their ceilings are. We know what they can, they can, they can do. So I think that's always the interesting thing when you're, when you're saying like, this is the end all be all when that's not actually the case, because there's a lot of other factors that are being pulled in who's available, who's not right. Mm-hmm. So what your needs are, how you want to play everything. Right. So Agreed. yeah. And, and I think that's, lot, people ahead. are going to stay ready. People want to play. People right. are going to stay ready, you know? Right. So. Uh, and then the last question is, I think there's a lot of focus on the forwards. I think this was true in, during CONCACAF of just when, when, when Vladko uses the word form, people think, you know, shoot ball in the goal, the person who is <laughs> shooting the ball in the goal the most. And that's very important, yeah. right? Alex yeah. Morgan's doing great. Smith's <laughs> doing great. You know, these are the players that are able to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to the midfield question, I guess, is if they play Nigeria and you see some forward mixes that don't totally work or there's some disconnect or, you know, they're not always shooting the ball into the goal. Um, do you think that maybe, and this is maybe again, it's professional sports. You're going to be focused on the goal scorers, but this is my thing in the back of my head, which is that I feel like the teams going back to that conversation about the spine, Mm-hmm. When people are watching these games, should they be watching how the forward line is connecting with each other or should they be watching more? It feels like the bigger project is how is the defensive part of the team connecting with the attacking part of the team? And so are we focusing too much on what forward combination works the best when we should be focusing more on how are we progressing the ball from the back? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it all is intertwined, right? I think like, and why I say the spine is because that is going to be, I think, how you get wing play. That's how you get a Sophia Smith, Mal Pugh, whoever's playing out there, right? Um, Whoever's playing in the nine. I think that's how you get those players involved is how you, one, manipulate space, but also bring in the midfielders to find those players in um, positions that they can be the most successful. So for me, it's like I, going back to what we were saying and having the two the two pivots. And you have more outlets one mm-hmm. to be able to build out of the back, and it's less predictable. Mm-hmm. And then it's about rotation. I mean, Lindsay Horan would be one of those players, right, to be able to like pull wide. And right. then we saw this like I was just calling that WICC. So Chelsea Leon did this all the time: the rotation of one player going wide, a um, uh, winger pinching in then and it's all how you can create overloads and that's exactly where the u.s i think is going to be most successful we've just in my opinion have been a bit more one predictable and methodical in that right and it's like how do we go forward so quickly then we turn over and leave ourselves exposed regardless of who we're playing against because we all know the game has grown and everyone can be exposed yeah so yes lock it down defensively and then i think you start to see players in better positions to be able to take advantage of the opposition, right? Because that is one thing that the U.S. does so well is the ability to be able to go quickly in transitional moments. And then it also helps us where we have lacked, in my opinion, and not have been as fluid, as fluid is when we are in possession in our final third, mm-hmm. how do we create space for one another? Well, then you, you have more players in like better positions to be able to serve balls from wide, whether it's the wingers, whether it's our outside backs, right? So, yeah, I mean, I think to answer that very specifically, it's about how we cover space defensively to win the ball back mm-hmm. than to be able to have players in better positions personally. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that, and it's, it's easy for this to happen, I do think, on the international level, but it becomes, sometimes it feels like the U.S. becomes very, how do we win individual battles and turn that into scoring chances? Yeah. And getting to that next level is what will help you when perhaps you don't win every individual battle because mm-hmm. that's not going to be the case. Right. That's when we talk about the reliance on the things that the U.S. have relied on in the past. You can't guarantee that you're going to every individual like 1v1, like you're going to come out 
the, you know, the winner of those. And when you rely on that too much, I think that's where you do become exposed. Yeah. And I also think to your point with that too, makes me think of like, you know, there's not a lot of time in the, with the national team with Flacco and having the ability to have players in as, as much as we used to under Jill. Right. And like that, right. the, gone are those days. Right. I mean, I do feel like they're trying to still work that into the CBA in my opinion, but like still, let's just say that's not the gone are those days. Yeah. Um, but you know, we see that the NWSL is transitional. We know that there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's like, then how do you also take bits and pieces of that? And then when the international game is completely different or offer something different, right. how can you quickly be able to turn that mode on right. to be able to find different ways? And I think the simplest thing goes back to what we were saying, which is like, then you have putting people in positions mm-hmm. and it's not always going to be maybe who you think are your best 11. Right. That's fine. Put them, put people in the positions because if you're, you're calling them in, then they're going to be some of the best in the world. Right. And so, yeah. 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 It's always, that's always the thing. I think we, I was having a conversation with somebody else uh, earlier today, which is just how sometimes this, this can feel the, the decisions can feel arbitrary. Yeah. And, and part of the reason towards some of that arbitrariness is because these are all really good players. And mm-hmm. so it does sometimes become legitimately sort of arbitrary choices. And yeah. that is is an element of of this team that has always been true and even mm-hmm. with CBA changes will probably always be true because when you're looking at player A and player B different strengths different weaknesses it might just come down to who the coach thinks is yeah. just working it has the more friends on the team i don't know like little stuff like that yeah uh, so it I'm, really is it really is like opinion too like for yeah. me i don't know this probably isn't a popular opinion but i i think that like you know, with Macario being out, because obviously if she's fit and healthy, that is your number nine, right? Oh, I think they'll bring her back in even if she's not fit and healthy. Yeah, I think yeah. she's going no matter what. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, however, like at this time, I'm like, if you're looking for something different, you know, we've seen Hatch and Alex up there, right. but I'm like, Rose could play that position. Yeah, for sure. You have somebody similar that's going to play somewhat similar to Macario because she can play back to goal. She can get others involved. Right. You have midfielders getting beyond. Yeah. She can and, even play like behind a behind. She could play behind Alex Morgan. And that yeah. also would be something that she could do. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'd be curious. Um, you know, I would, I would try some different things, but obviously I'm talking to you and not the coach. So I know this is, again, we're talking about the consistency of the roster and what maybe the hope this is the, here's the, here's the thesis statement of this whole section, which is if they're not going to change the players, I hope they tinker with some different looks with those same players. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Otherwise, why are we doing this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is yeah exactly. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. Well, great. So we're going to take a short break and we'll, we'll still be focused stateside. We're going to be looking at NWSL because there's a lot going on in the league this week. Some good, some weird. Uh, we'll get into it in just one second. So we'll be back after break. All right, welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Lori Lindsay. Uh, Going to say the same thing I say at the beginning of this segment. Give us a rating. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. Discovery is really, really important, especially because we are an independent outlet. So give us a five-star review. Give us a rating. That helps a ton. So we are going to turn over to NWSL. And it's kind of a funny day to be recording this podcast because usually it's, you know, Murphy's Law, right? You you record the podcast and then a bunch of news breaks, but we got lucky, I guess. I guess today <laughs> a bunch of news broke before we recorded. So we're going to take the two probably biggest news items and then we'll keep talking about some of the action we saw this weekend. But I think, you know, headliner was a single tweet sent out <laughs> into the Twitterverse. No follow-up information. <laughs> Chris Ward has been relieved of his, his duties as head coach of the Washington Spirit. Now, Big picture, a little bit shocking, right? He led the team to a championship last year. He was a culture reset after the firing of Richie Burke. He was someone who was very vocal in advocating for players this season, though obviously that's also something that you maybe do more if you're struggling. Um, Maybe just uh, first question, just baseline, how surprised are you by this? They haven't won a game in what? Thir- 13, 14 matches. It's they, it's been rough. It's been rough yeah. on the field. We've 
gone in length on this podcast about the extenuating circumstances, but at what point are the circumstances no longer so extenuating that you can't make a move? What do you think, Lori? How surprised were you to see this today? Yeah, I was surprised. I I was certainly surprised. Um, Yes, given everything that you just said, I mean, we get it. Um, I also think this is a a coach that turned things around in a very, uh, to say the least, tumultuous time last season, going to win the championship. I think this team that made some important tweaks last year that like highlighted um, players like Trinity, put her in even better positions. And yeah, I mean, given not the results that you want, but also feel like, okay, we need a little bit of leeway here. Also though, side note, why it's somewhat not totally surprising is because I think when you bring in um, a figure like a Mark Krikorian, Mm -hmm. that feels like a statement that's being made. We're going in a direction and we're giving him full reign to do some things. So it's also, it feels like, okay, interesting. What is this? Is this, are we looking to revamp this entire, um, organization in some ways? So I think while, the timing was interesting. And to your point, the tweet, was a very the sh- way it was kind of, yeah. I, I was like, uh, maybe a graphic that says, thank you, Chris. I don't know something. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I mean, we can like, it's you know, that great, right. but also like, goodness gracious, what in the world? Yeah. Um, so I think it's best twofold. I mean, I don't think anybody expected it. Right. And right. It, there could have been a little bit more grace period. And also just feels like, outside of some performances, which I actually just think is ultimately what it was. Right. I think that is the basis, right? I think they're like, and I think it was just an indicator that they're ready to go to a different direction and build. Um, so I wouldn't actually be surprised if there's more changes coming. Just yeah. given that right. seems to be so surprising, right? Right. I think, right. I agree. I think maybe my my take on it, and this was kind of how I was feeling about it even a couple weeks ago, which is just, sure, it seems kind of shocking to think about this as sort of, it feels like a nuclear option, right? It's it's yeah. a, a huge acknowledgement that what is currently happening is not working to the point where it needs changes. Though, obviously, like you said, the hiring of Krikorian was probably going to usher some of that in anyway. Mm-hmm. This is my take, and this is from the outside. This is just the impression that I got. I'm, I'm not saying this is fact or anything like that, but it seemed to me like Chris Ward really righted the ship last year by by kind of listening and getting out of the way. So he let the players kind of tell him what they felt like they were not getting from the coaching staff. Um, I know there was a lot of defensive work that they did, mm-hmm. a lot of moving the ball with purpose when he joined, but that was as much player-driven by leadership in the, in the group, maybe like a Tori Huster or a Kelly O'Hara mm-hmm. asking for specific things rather than him coming in and super implementing a style of play. Now that worked great for them, right? Just letting those players be their best selves, giving them space, giving them clarity of purpose, all of that. That is what led them to the championship. Though, obviously, as we know, as the way playoffs work, you know, winning a championship doesn't necessarily mean that you were the best team that year, but he did an amazing job of riding that ship, like emotionally and mentally and letting those players execute to the best of their ability. Now this year, they come off an off season where they don't do very much, but that makes sense, right? They think, okay, we have the group. We just need to make slight tweaks. We can handle injuries. We can handle absences. We feel so good about what we did last year that if we continue that, we're going to find success. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, that was not true. Mm-hmm. You can blame the schedule. You can blame, you know, bad luck with injuries. They've had important mm-hmm. pieces out. Um, but it did seem like as those weeks progressed, the team mentally lost that clarity of purpose. It seemed more aimless. It seemed more frustrated. You had a player like Trinity Rodman trying to win the game on her own. You see more of that. Mm-hmm. And if Chris Ward is your get out of the way and let the players lead kind of a guy, when you maybe need someone to give more guidance, mm-hmm. I'm not sure you can always flip that switch in a locker room yeah. because that's just not the role that you've had. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if, Part of it as well is just, I think Krikorian would be the kind of guy who would identify this, Yeah, is if you were helping the team lead itself, but you need more guidance now, maybe Chris Ward is not your guy. Does that seem like I'm making stuff up or does that... No, I think all of that's fair. And I also yeah. think it comes down to support too, you know, yeah. to add on to that. I think all of that is fair. And I think that's a... Um is very insightful in, in that regard. I think, you know, when you see like a Lee win though, leave for, right. um, you know, to go back and play, play and stuff. Again, yeah. And um, I think it's the performance coach. Maybe that's not there anymore too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all depends on how are we setting up 
the coaches to be the best that they can be too. We talk about setting players up, but how do we set the coaches up to be the best for those players? And, and to your point, like, yeah, maybe, maybe it was a need to change. Right. Right. Um, But also I think those are interesting factors that go in this too, because we've seen two coaches already in like a week's time being replaced because of performances where I think everybody in the last like handful of years has been like, why is anybody being replaced for performance? Yes. Yeah. It's a new world a little bit. You bring it's, I think it's also, you talk about bringing in Kerkorian, but with both Gotham and Washington ownership changes as well. Mm-hmm. more either more eyes or different eyes on the performance of the organization and yeah i think there's going to be everyone knows that um the pro game has higher turnover than just about any other level of the sport yeah. mm-hmm. but i think we're going to see that actually um accelerate because you are seeing these evaluations of these teams go up mm-hmm. you are going to have ownership be like okay so where's my money going right i'm not seeing it on the field yeah, certainly. And I think, you know, we're, we are also heading in or already in like this new era, right? Like it feels like we're, there's been a lot of headway from like everything that went on last year too. It feels like you're moving. There's like more player driven aspects as well. Yeah. Um, the CBA getting done and that just lifts everything up. Right. And so I think you're seeing that. I think hiring of a Mark Kukorian is a statement in, in that regard and how much, how long he's been in college, how long yeah. he's been around the game, come in, um, organize, it feels like how he can elevate the entire organization. I think we will start seeing that across the board, um, or at least from the majority of the clubs, because there seems to be a real drive to see what's happening in England, right? And then like the uptick there off of Euros as well. And like, okay, how can we elevate? How can we elevate? How can we elevate? And it was really interesting to also be in the WICC and see a little bit more closely how Chelsea's um, yeah. it, we work with them really closely, right? Um, how they're operating, how Sonia Bompasor, former teammate of mine and good friend, how they're, the resources that they're putting at Lyon. So you just start to see yeah. how some of these clubs have some of the top resources are operating. Right. And then in comparison to what that looks like at the NWSL level and how, how you can continue to elevate. That is actually fascinating too, because Chelsea runs a little bit more old school in terms of personnel, which is that Emma Hayes does all of it, right? Yeah. Um, and but but they basically they write her a blank check and say, "Go make." Well, actually, that I think from yeah. the outside, that's what it looks like. But yeah. there's like a huge staff, huge staff yeah. in the amount that they're doing, and yes, she is like the figure, yeah. right? Um, but it's like oh, interesting. That, that doesn't need to be shouted because there's so much support around, yeah, right? And um. And you're getting help from others. So right. I think it looks like because of her in the limelight, but I think really there's so many moving pieces yeah. that it allows, and it just goes back to even kind of what we were just specifically talking about in resources with Washington. Right. What's the support for that actual staff? Well, that was right? the question, because right? Even when, when Ward was let go today, I think there was a little bit of a scramble of, so who's got the licensing and and the ability to even be interim in this moment? And that's not what you want, right? Yeah. Um, and if maybe that's where the weird, you know, we talked about the tweet, the weirdness. It's like they they're making this move. They feel like now is the time to do it. Obviously, I don't really think the season in terms of playoffs is salvageable, but you can start building momentum for next year. Yeah. I'm sure they also feel like, and this is where I think they're different than Gotham, is that they don't have to blow the roster up. It, there's not a huge, they're not um, showing dysfunction, I think, so much on the field in terms of it's not working, but it is just they need uh, a more definitive style. They need some changes. Uh and so I think that that kind of also decentralization of coaching power is going to change things in NWSL as well, yeah. because for mm-hmm. a long time you had a coach who was like also the GM and it's their team. And maybe ownership goes, well, if I get rid of this person, I have nothing. I don't, nobody knows what's going on. And so Washington, I think is seeing some of those growing pains, but the dream would be that you have that fully fleshed out staff so that if you do decide that you need to pull the trigger on getting rid of a coach, the the uh, machine of the team still kind of works in a similar way. And I don't think Washington is quite there, but it seems like they have ambitions to get there. Yeah. I agree saying. with the pieces in play too. And I still think there probably would be some maneuvering. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I just think that they'll look, you know, I think that is a team that wants to build through the draft and yeah. continue to make moves and stuff. Um, right. uh, I mean, I'm not so sure, but I do think given that like you have this kind of interesting change, then I feel like others would, other changes would probably come. Um, But yeah, you don't need to. I mean, that's like, I had a team winning the championship again, which is unfortunate because it's going to be tough for them. I don't even know 
actually numbers wise that they the can't. The math, the math is not good for them. Yeah, no. yeah. exactly. Yeah. So gone are those days, but I mean, yeah. if you still look at the personnel, like goodness gracious, what a, right. what a group, you know? So, right. yeah. Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting to see if there are, whenever you have a, reg- a regime change and, and, you know, and that's maybe overstating it for Ward, but yeah, you might, we'll see, we'll see what happens with, with the group that they have. Um, or if now is the time, which is maybe this is a good segue over to, to what Gotham did this week, because, uh, Gotham also, you know, they, they pull the trigger on, on relieving their head coach of their duties. They get an interim coach who is well-regarded. However, Humenzies was pretty clear this week that this is not, he's not trying to run Gotham permanently. This is an interim manager move. Mm-hmm. Um, they make a really, well, they've, they've made a couple moves, right? They send Caprice Didasco to, to Houston um, for a certain amount of money. And then today they acquired uh, Victoria Pickett for let me pull this up $200,000 in allocation money and their second highest first round draft pick in the 2023 NWSL draft. So this is not their only first round draft pick in the, in in the draft, but it is one of them. Mm -hmm. Now a little bit of alarm bells for me with Gotham (laughs) on this one. It's like good and bad. They're trying. I think that's great. They want to be ambitious. They want to spend the money that they've acquired. They sent a player out. They're bringing a player in. They're trying to address their issues in the midfield. Like there's a couple of good things happening here. They don't have a permanent manager and they're giving away future assets, which means that when a new coach does come in, those assets are not there for that coach to build their vision of the team. Mm-hmm. Not to say that Victoria Pickett is not going to be a contributor or a good long-term option for Gotham, but the more at the more future assets you give away when you're only dealing with a general manager and not with a coach, it limits what that coach can do when they come in. And this is that kind of, you talk about Washington wanting to build through the draft to be an NWSL club. And this gets into like big, big, big stuff is it's actually really hard. And we've seen this. It's really hard to get better when you've bet your future away And the win now approach doesn't work. We saw that with Orlando for years. We Mm -hmm. see it now with Gotham. I think Gotham made some big mistakes even back in 2020 that has affected their ability to to get younger and have a more cohesive looking group also tied to the draft. The parity rules in the NWSL mean that if you just want to spend and spend the assets that you have, if that doesn't work, that's a five-year plan that you've maybe blown up. Mm-hmm. And that's why we see teams year after year after year struggle to climb the table. Mm-hmm. And I worry that we're seeing that pattern again with Gotham. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think, Lori? Does this, are you thinking what's like the net? Are we looking at a net negative on this one? Net positive, net neutral. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I actually think, yeah, early, I thought the Capri Stadasco as much as like, you know, it'd be a bummer and um, right. you know, had, has had such a good um, season last year in particular. Um, I actually was like, oh, okay, this makes sense for Gotham, right? There, this could be without totally knowing, maybe a, a player driven as well, sure. but also beneficial for both sides. Like right. they'll collect money, and I was like, okay, great, making moves for the future, collect some money, right. you can make some trades, you can buy some players, but then you right. can also get built through the draft. And then, <laughs> and then the picket one is so perplexing to me too, because personally, as much as it does feel like they're kind of go getters and trying to to make some or salvage a little bit of the season to me, Victoria Pickett isn't the player that you need. You need, and you and I were talking a little bit about this off air is like, you need a bit more of a connector, right? You need to solve some positional um, issues that they've had, particularly in the midfield. And so Pickett's an interesting one to grab, um, especially when you're giving away a first round draft pick and knowing that there could be a little bit of a, of more of a long-term plan. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I hope not because, you know, this also feels a little bit of like what we were seeing in the Orlando days where you have like quite a few veteran players yeah. who are on the fringes of like the end of their careers. Right. And then you have some really young players. Taron Torres comes to mind, yeah. right? Yeah, who having pl- yeah. have, yeah, but has had to play significant minutes more than you actually would think yes. that she would this season or actually should, right? right. Um and there seems to be a huge gap in that um, midway level of like who can keep these teams together. So it's a, 
much like the Washington head coaching transition, um, this feels very perplexing to me too, because it also just feels like there's not a clear pathway, at least that I'm understanding at this point in time, given the coaching change, Didasco gone, right? pick it, because it just doesn't seem like it feels a need that they, on the way that I feel like they want to play. Right. Yeah. Right? And I so, think, I think that that, that's also the interesting question as well, which is, it's an overspend and you think, well, you know, yeah, Averbush knows what she's doing, right? This, yeah. She knows that it's an overspend. So why are they overspending? Mm-hmm. And it seems to me like it's an issue of timing, right? Like Kansas city is in a playoff push themselves. They are, I'm sure even just to get them to answer the phone, there had to be a certain number to have there. They're thinking we're vibing. We've got a good group. Sure. We maybe would make this move in the off season, but we don't have to do it right now. We're doing great. Mm-hmm. And so Gotham has to rise that number up to get this deal done in this transfer window. Yeah. And then that's where I'm saying, I don't understand why you do that. You do it because I think that they still believe that this season is salvageable, except for me. I'm like, maybe you even do get above the playoff line, but what have you achieved here? Right? Like, yeah. what does this mean for, for future seasons? And that's where I'm concerned of, I think it's really hard mentally to compile the roster that they compiled and then say it's not happening this year. Maybe that is a locker room disaster move. I'm not sure. Yeah. But yeah. Just the performances that we've seen over the last two months, they have to turn more around than just their coach. And they have to turn more around than, than just, you know, focusing in. And, and so that's where I'm like giving up so much of the future for this. I, I'm not sure it's going to work, I guess, is maybe my point. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I also think it is one of those things like this is a Kansas City team who's doing really well after like a bit of a yeah. wild start after the the Challenge Cup, right? I mean, right. there's like, I think that they felt like, well, this could be an interesting year. And they've right. completely turned things around. And even though Victoria Pickett's been a starter, they don't actually, I think it's not a 100% need for them because right. you pick CC Kaiser, right. you can move people around, you have Merrick who came in that trade as well. And so they have the luxury of kind of moving pieces. Whereas, you know, now you're seeing like, okay, you're going to lose, you're going to lose Mewis, you're going to lose Anamanu, you're going to lose um, Purse, mm-hmm. right? You've seen um, Ali and Ashlyn who haven't been able to play a significant amount of games mm-hmm. um, recently. Like, I mean, maybe it's just like, not even like a now, but it's like an immediate, just to get some players that can play, right? Well, and, and this weekend, they they benched Mewis to start and had Allie Krieger playing yeah. the six. They are trying some wild stuff right now. Yeah. yeah. They, yeah, they really are. I mean, and I'm also like a Cujo fan. So I was right. thinking he could be playing more. That's a whole right. nother thing. However, I mean, yeah, I just think I am, I am, this isn't like a, uh, a podcast of like us debating because I think we're all on the same <laughs> right. we're all yeah. kind of on the same lines of thinking of what's going right. on. And I think I think first and foremost it's like get a coach and then start to lock down the identity because it right. does still feel a little bit of like we're we're scrambling, we're pulling and, and right. maybe there's some underlying things here that we don't know. But um it does feel like the identity first and foremost has to be there because that is, I think been the thing with Gotham all along, regardless right. of who's in, in the front office is there hasn't been like a, Hey, this is exact, exactly how we want to play. I think we saw right. a little bit of it last year, but then you lost some important pieces of like a Kaylin Sheridan and Allie yeah. long, Carly right. Lloyd in that mix, right? Three people right down the spine that would be huge factors in that, that weren't totally replaced, I guess. Right. So yeah, I think, I I think I'll probably be perplexed about this one forever. <laughs> I mean, I you know I hate to do this, but two hundred thousand dollars is what Portland paid for Crystal Dunn. It's yeah. like it's just yeah, it's a lot of money plus yeah. the first round draft pick. Um, yeah, I and like I said, those kinds of you know some people are very much like if you have the money, spend it. For me, I think you're gonna pay for it down the road, and I think that that's yeah. gonna be an issue. And this is maybe what I want to close with here is the third team that they're the, they're the cautionary tale, Orlando pride. They are the cautionary tale of this particular approach. Yeah. But, and despite the fact that they themselves also have an interim head coach, I don't think they got that coaching hire, right? However, they are truly committed to the rebuild at this point. Mm-hmm. They are bringing in, you know, and not that, you know, Ali Watt is a super young player anymore, but mm-hmm. younger, very Mm -hmm. different look to the team. They want to be bigger than the sum of their parts, right? They want to 
create that identity. And like we've seen under Seb Hines, they're doing that successfully. It's not the prettiest, but they're doing what needs to be done to get results. Um, I was talking to, uh, I had Andre on last week and I said this off air, but I'll say it on, which is just the thing with the Orlando pride for me. And this is my fault. This is just for me is I just, we've never seen it come together for them. And therefore with every move that they make, I go, is this the time? Because historically, no, (laughs) um, though they've only been around for like, you know, five years, they, it takes time to, to change your approach. Mm -hmm. Are you beginning to be a little bit of a believer though, in what they're building down there in Orlando? Does it seem like some smart moves, some good moves, right? Yeah. Maybe it just depends on the coach as well. They got to get that coaching hire, right? Yeah, I do. Um, I think a believer is probably a strong word, just given what you just said, right? They have not gotten it right. right. I mean, it has been yeah. Like, right. And I kind of same thing about the identity. What exactly are you, how are you trying to play? I think, you know, the reason why I'm not fully a believer, because I'm still a little bit like, what's the deal with your spine? What's the deal right. with your midfield? I think they have to get that right. I think those are big pickups. We saw Haley Hansen, yep. um, you know, Allie Watt that you mentioned. So, I mean, I think those are important, but I'm like, okay, what's the identity of your, how are you playing? Right. Do you really need a Haley Hansen? Is that, is that the most that you need? Like, what's the deal there? Right. right. Um, so I think there's still some, there's more questions still there than there are answers for me down. Um, and yes, there seem to be turning some things around, but it, it's not like they've been the most super convincing wins or right. performances. So, um, but I mean, you said it, these things do take time and we've known that. And so I think committing to that is where, and that's easier for us to sit here and say that on this podcast and actually right. be in it. Oh, and then actually like, do okay. it. Yes, of yeah. yeah. And like listening to what players are saying, hearing some of the feedback that they're giving, right. I'm all of that is being taken on both the two organizations that we just talked about. But I do think um, it's an important time in this league where I'm like, commit to like what you want that to look like and yeah. then go for it. Right? right. Because it does feel like once it, if it doesn't work, then they're scrambling. And I'm not right. saying that to these two, these two specifically, but I think across the board that sometimes is outside of a few few places seems to be the case where it's like, all right, just, it's going to take some time. Right. It's okay. Everyone take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, you, you can't, right. You can't, uh, pe- you really cannot piece together a soccer team. It just doesn't work. We've yeah. seen it in every league mm-hmm. since the beginning of time. You have to yeah. just really trust the vision. You have to give your manager, um, some, or maybe you have to, to move managers around. I mean, we'll see how it works, but, yeah. um, yeah, I think that it's all just about truly empowering those people in place to make decisions. In Washington, mm-hmm. it seems like it's Krikorian. In Orlando, it seems like it's Ian Fleming. Um, yeah. in, in Gotham, obviously, yeah, Averbush is, is running the ship right now. Um, and letting those people see their vision through. And if it works great, and if it doesn't, then you have bigger issues to deal with. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. Um, this has been a, a long conversation on, on teams that aren't doing that great, but we talk about the good teams all the time. So this, <laughs> it's good to sort of get into the weeds of, of some of this news. I would say that maybe I, I do love though, that we're getting some, some transfer action. I think that we've found a good equilibrium of being able to have it not feel quite so harsh trading wise. It doesn't feel like players are being moved like assets. It feels like teams are trying to get better in a more humane way than we've maybe seen in the past. I think that's awesome. This is the way forward. I love talking about it because it sets us up for free agency in the off season and that's going to be crazy. So yeah, it's, we think this is wild. Right. Exactly. This is just just a preview. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me, Lori. I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy and our distributor blue wire podcast. And we will be back next week with more NWSL action for you. So stay tuned. We'll talk to y'all next time.